Oh, amen and amen. Welcome back, choir. Did you hear we snuck in a pipe organ this morning? It's amazing what can come out of that little box, isn't it? For a second I looked up, we got a pipe organ in here. At least it sounded like it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what it must have been like for John when you showed him and he wrote about it from Revelation 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. And 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Oh, Father, give us ears to hear even now this morning that thunderous anthem coming from Your throne room. And may it give us encouragement and strength and humility to persevere and to lead others and show them in what we say and by what we do and in who we are that You indeed alone are worthy. We love You. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Diane Kirsting just handed me this on the way in this morning. Can you read it from back there? It, uh, it, it replaces the sign, or it's going to replace the sign that said, what did it say? No drinks in the sanctuary, right? This sign says, drinks welcome in the sanctuary. Now, I'm a little nervous because I sort of suggested this to Diane kind of on the side in the lobby one day and really didn't get that passed, you know, by the elders of the leadership in the church. And now i got a thing. So I may have just sort of spent any and all power that I have here for the next six or nine months. So enjoy your drinks in the sanctuary. Thank you, Diane, for that. <laughs> We're here this morning to talk about something called Shema. Now, to many of you who've been here for at least uh, two or three years, you may recall I taught on Shema uh, some time ago. But um, we're going to talk about it a little bit more from now through the end of the year. And so I thought I'd begin with one of the most basic questions. What is Shema? You know, what is this Shema thing anyway? You know, sounds foreign. So I thought a good way to start was we sent our crack video team recording crew to the streets of Denver with that very question, what is Shema? And let's see what they found. Hey everybody, this is John Bushman. We're here on 16th Street Mall, downtown Denver, trying to figure out if people know what Shema is. So do you know what Shema is? Shamu? Shema. I know Shamu, but not Shema. Okay, best guess on Shema. Sounds like an Arab word to me. That's about my best guess. Que es la palabra Shema? Oh, quién sabe? Who knows? Perfect. Uh, that, I only took one Spanish class. Um, it would be a, a, a term used to describe a Far East religion. What? Ch chicken. 
chicken. Yeah. Like like uh, like something to eat. Yeah, chicken wings and all that. Shema. Yeah, shema. Like you're gonna go sh eat some shema. <laughs> um, shema. <laughs> I have no idea. What do you think the word shema means? Shema. 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 Um, like show your ma. Show your ma. Perfect. Shema. I'd say something that chicks wear. Something that chicks wear. Yeah. All right. All right so what do you think the word Shema means? Shema? I never even heard of it. Hold on a second. Uh, excuse me, ladies. Are y'all representing McDonald's? The word Shema? Shema. Shema. Maybe some kind of, like, weird fish. I don't know exactly. But Shema. It's, it's, I think it's a religious, like, place where you go to pray. We found Brad Brady on the streets of uh, Las Vegas here in yeah. Nevada. Uh, Brad Brady, what do you think the word Shema means? Shema means love God, love God, and love God. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you're golden. You're the you're the best. <laughs> Can you, uh, uh, let's give John and the crew and Justin a hand. <laughs> now, no lie, it was totally on accident, truly. Can you believe that they just happened to run into our very own Brad Brady? I mean, really, no one had, well, what are the chances of that, right? About 100% with God? Okay, now, um, Brad, uh, about your answer. <laughs> You're, you're an elder, right? I just, oh. I'm only kidding, and I'm kidding him because great answer, Brad, outstanding answer. You nailed it, as we'll see more in a minute. I'm so glad they ran into you, even if you're not so sure you're so glad they ran into you. And, and Bob Fugler, where's Bob at this morning? He's counting money. Well, maybe, maybe Bob can hear me where he is. Um, I know Bob is glad that he wasn't milling around 16th Street Mall last week because uh, you know they would have found him. For those of you visiting, um, for some reason our tech crew is especially fond of, of Bob. <laughs> Bob gets more than his share of teasing in our morning videos. So it wasn't him on the spot this week, Bob. It was you, Brad. And so I'm sure you welcome Bob back into the fold, right? <laughs> yeah. What... Um, what indeed is Shema, and why are we bothering with it this morning, and as I'll suggest later, way beyond this morning? We're going to look hard and close at that question. Why bother with Shema from now until Christmas, and even including a Christmas series that will flow right from and include Shema? You see on the screen a very broad outline of my sermon schedule. This morning I'll introduce or reintroduce Shema as a whole, and then in the weeks to follow, we'll break our study into three parts. God loves us, love God, and love others. Now, like I said last week at the outdoor service, if you were here, I have never been more eager, more compelled to share anything with you than what God has placed on my heart for this series. And I'm going to tell you up front, it is more than another sermon series for me. 
and potentially for us. And that part is up to you. Jesus' interpretation of Shema is, from my heart, my vision for our church. My vision for you and for us. And so, from now to the end of the year, I'm preaching on Shema in large part to ask you to join me in going all in and truly make this the heartbeat of who we are and what we are doing here at West Bulls Community Church. It is nothing short of God's call to me in my ministry to ask you to embrace and put into action this vision. So my part, I'm going to be faithful and follow my call and share with you what God has shared with me about this vision. The rest, as they say, is up to you. Are you up for it? At least to take a look at it and consider it and wrestle with it together with me from now through Christmas. Amen? Well, let's begin with the question. The filming crew asked folks in downtown Denver, what indeed is Shema? It is not chicken. Once upon a time, once upon a time there lived a Jewish rabbi. You know him. His name is Jesus. And one day when Jesus was here on earth teaching an expert in the law, in other words, a Pharisee was listening very carefully to what Jesus was saying. And this particular Pharisee loved what he heard. You see on the screen Mark 12:28, where Mark reports that the expert in the law noticed Jesus gave a good answer to a question that some Sadducees had just asked Jesus about the resurrection of the dead. Pharisees and Sadducees disagreed on many things. And so this Pharisee at least is likely grinning from ear to ear that Jesus has just stumped a group of Sadducees with his excellent answer And so this Pharisee is eager to hear more from Jesus. And so he asks Jesus with eager expectation, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now let's pause here a bit for some cultural context. Let's say say we're living in the time of Jesus. And one day we see a rabbi, a teacher, teaching his disciples in the temple courts in Jerusalem. And let's say we're curious not only about what particular topic he is talking about at that moment, but we're also curious about what really makes this rabbi tick. What's the basis or foundation of his worldview, of his life? What is the essential ingredient that ties together anything and everything he teaches and does? And given his love and knowledge of Scripture, How does he approach and interpret and apply and live all of Scripture? Is there a polar star, a guiding light, a key foundational hermeneutical principle that unifies all he knows and believes and does and lives in his life according to God's Word? And if we wanted to know all that about this rabbi we would ask him in the idiom of the day a question like, what is the most important commandment? 
Or what is the greatest commandment? Or even, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And if we ask questions like that to a first century rabbi, we are asking him, what's life all about, rabbi? And so this is a huge question this Pharisee is asking Jesus. It's more than just another topic among many. He's asking Jesus to share his bottom line when it comes to following God and His Word. He's asking Jesus, what is God and His Word getting at, really, Rabbi? Is there one most important, greatest commandment that truly sums it all up? What are you all about, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth? And what should we be all about? What marks you? Jesus, as a follower of God. And what should mark us? Or in the words of the Pharisee in Mark, what's the most important commandment? And everyone, I'm sure, there that day grew quiet in eager anticipation of how this famous, brilliant, powerful, gentle, compassionate, selfless rabbi would answer this question. The Gospel of Matthew records the same event. We learn in Matthew there's a whole group of Pharisees standing behind that one spokesman Pharisee in Mark. And again in Matthew we read that the Pharisees are motivated to ask their question because Jesus has just silenced the Sadducees, which no doubt had the Pharisees grinning. I know, Matthew says they asked the question to test Jesus But don't make the mistake of assuming a question to test someone is necessarily bad. In context here in Matthew, where the Pharisees' rivals are silenced, and especially the context of the same story in Mark, where the Pharisee is impressed with Jesus' good response to the Sadducees, in this instance at least, these Pharisees at least are impressed with Jesus and are asking him a question to draw even more, even deeper, excellent teaching from him. Maybe they're hoping he'll stump the Sadducees again, a favorite game of the Pharisees, I would guess. And so a question similar to that asked in Mark is also eagerly asked in Matthew, anticipating that Jesus will pass the test of the question with flying colors. Teacher, the Pharisee uses a title of deep respect. Teacher, he asks. What is the greatest commandment in Torah? Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus, we've just heard Your excellent response to the Sadducees regarding the resurrection of the dead. Great job! What a brilliant and wise answer. So tell us, please, tell us, teacher. Tell us more. In fact, tell us it all. Tell us what it's all about. Cut to the chase. What is God really after in His Word? Who are we and what are we doing here according to God's Word? Tell us, teacher. Tell us. And Jesus tells them. And He tells us. And He uses His Father's words to answer the question. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. The most important commandment, Jesus says in Mark, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. 
And Matthew records and edits Jesus' answer this way, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And that commandment is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 11, and in Numbers 15. And that commandment is called the Shema. Or just Shema for short. Say Shema. Shema is simply the Hebrew word for hear. The first word God uses to give the command to love God with all of every part of us. Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. And that is indeed what it's all about for a follower of God. Love God with all, all, all. Three times God repeats it in emphasis. Love God with all of every part of who we are and what we do. And there's more. And the more, my friends, floors me. The more is just delightful, amazing, humbling. In fact, the more should really just render us speechless in awe and wonder at just how great our God is, how worthy He is. Did you know that Jesus can't count? He is asked for one most important commandment. He's asked to give one greatest commandment. But He gives two. And the lesson we take from this is that Jesus can't count. Of course that's not the lesson. The lesson is that our God can't even talk about loving Him without also talking about our loving others. Loving God and loving others must be in the same breath. Jesus can't even stand it. You want one question? He rattles off that first one, surprised no one. Every Jewish sect, every Jew knew the first one is just testing to see if he was orthodox for his day probably. Nobody's surprised at all when he says that. But then he can't stand it, even though they didn't ask him what the second or third or the fourth was. He's got to combine with the one. He has to give them two answers. In Mark, Jesus just has to add. And the second most important commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And so too in Matthew, Jesus just has to add. And the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And there in Matthew, it's not only the second greatest commandment, but in Matthew, the command to love your neighbor is like the first commandment to love God. Are you kidding me? The Almighty Creator God of the universe, who alone truly deserves any and all love there is to give, that God says there is one and only one commandment that is like the commandment to love me, God says that the command to love others is like the command to love God. And we'll unpack that more when we talk in a few weeks in more detail about loving others. But for now, just wonder along with me, will you? That loving others is so important to God, is so central, is so crucial, that it is like the command to love God Himself. God is in effect saying, my dear children, 
I want you to take love of others as seriously as you take your love for me. I want You want to know how to love God first and foremost? We are to love God first and foremost by loving others. Period. You love me, God asks, then love others. You really can't love me and not love others. Our God can't even talk about loving Him without also talking about our loving others. It must be in the same breath as it was for Jesus in Matthew and in Mark and in His entire life poured out because He loved God and loved others as Himself. To make the point even more emphatic, as if that's even possible, but God tries to get through. Matthew tells us that Jesus adds all the law and the prophets, another way of saying all of Scripture, all the law and the prophets hangs on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Folks, that is as emphatic as God could possibly get. One scholar notes that the commands to love God and love others are so central in Scripture, so foundational in Scripture, that the rest of Scripture is really commentary on those two commands. Inspired commentary, to be sure. God's commentary. But isn't that what Jesus says when He tells us that love God, love others, is what all of Scripture hangs on, relates to, points to, expresses, reveals, leans against, All of God's Word today for us, Genesis through Revelation, hangs on, rests on the two commandments to love God and love others. There isn't anything, therefore, in all of Scripture that doesn't somehow, some way, help reveal what loving others and loving God is all about in our life and witness. Every book, every chapter, every verse, every word, every letter, hangs on, love God, love others. All of Scripture, Jesus says, hangs on those two commands, love God and love others. Well, then shouldn't our lives and witness hang there too? Our Jewish friends caught the importance of Shema. I was hoping that the film crew would run into a Jew that, on that, uh, in the mall and ask them the question of what is Shema, they would likely still be answering. (laughs) You ever seen Jews wearing those little black black, um, boxes strapped to their foreheads? You see a picture of a couple of them on the screen. The little black box is called the phylactery. And does anyone know or care to guess what's inside that box? It is not an underdog super energy pill. Something even more powerful. Yeah, we've got four people that watched Underdog when they were kids. Something even more powerful. I heard the answer. What was the guess? What's in there? In that little black box is a little tiny piece of paper or parchment with the words of Shema written on it. Now, why on earth would they do that? Put a tiny Shema in a tiny box and strap it to their foreheads of all things. The answer lies in Shema itself. It's a longer version, if you will. And I'd like to invite you to stand and read with me this longer version. Would you stand, please? 
I'll have the words for you on the screen. I've combined different versions, different translations, which in my opinion and many scholars with me best captures the Hebrew. I'll explain that more as the series unfolds through the end of the year. But let's read together from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, shall we? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please, you could be seated. Did you catch it? The reason for the little black boxes on foreheads. God commanded His people to bind His commandments to their foreheads, so go figure, they did. At least Shema itself as representing all of God's commands. Why their foreheads, do you suppose? Well, your forehead in the Bible is your identity. It's who you are and what you're doing here. It's what marks you. In Genesis 4, you may recall, God puts a very visible mark on Cain, presumably on his forehead, to protect him from anyone seeking vengeance. A mark that said to any and all who saw it, I belong to God. This is who I am and what I'm doing here. This marks me. Exodus 28, God instructs that the high priest is to wear a seal on his forehead that says, Holy to the Lord. That's who the high priest is and what he's doing here. The writer of 1 Samuel is very careful to tell us that the stone David threw struck Goliath where? In the forehead. Not only the giant himself was struck down that day, but the worldview he represented, who he was and what he was doing there, was brought to a complete and sudden stop. One of Judah's kings, King Uzziah, started out faithful to God but became unfaithful when he became proud of his power. So proud and full of himself, he tried to take over the role of the priests in burning incense in the temple. And even as Uzziah was trying to do this, guess where on Uzziah's body God had leprosy break out to show that Uzziah was being unfaithful to God Guess where the leprosy appeared? Don't think too hard. Right on his forehead. God tells Ezekiel not to fear the Israelites opposing him because God would make Ezekiel's forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. In other words, God would protect who Ezekiel was and what he was doing there. And in the book of Revelation, oh my goodness, we have foreheads being marked all over the place. Have you ever noticed? And they're either marked for God or against God. God has a seal put on the foreheads of the faithful to protect them from certain tribulation at least. Those rebelling against God have the mark of the beast on, guess what part of their body? Yes, the forehead. The great prostitute of Babylon has her blasphemous title written on her, guess what? Forehead. And in Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, God promises, God promises that all who serve Him will ultimately see His face, wow, 
and promises that God's name itself will be on their foreheads. And so during Bible times, at least, a person's forehead said a lot about them. A symbol of who they are and what they're doing here. A symbol of whether they are with or against God. And so our Jewish friends wear God's Word on their foreheads, at least a piece of it, and at least during prayer and other special occasions as a symbol that their identity, who they are and what they do, belongs to God. God's Word marks who they are. They are about loving God with all their heart, soul, and might. That's who they are and what they are doing here. And they wear their phylacteries, their little boxes, to remind them of who they are and what they are doing here. Now, this morning, I have a little exercise for us. Not push-ups or jumping jacks. A different kind of exercise. If those helping me will please come on down. They have for us this morning a small gift. And it is a little plastic card like this. You'll each get one in a minute. It's a little plastic card like this. And it has the short version, at least, of Shema written on it. One side in English and the other side in Hebrew. So as you get yours, eventually, take the stack Take one, go ahead, pass it down until everyone has one, and then I will give you some further instructions. I'm taking the time to pass them out now instead of giving them to you as you came in because the teacher in me knows that you would have been messing around with them and not paying attention. (laughs) So as Rachel said to Leah, please bear with me a few moments. while we pass around these cards. When everyone has one, I'll give you further instructions. Here, Brad, you better take two. (laughs) Who needs one yet? Hold your hand up high. George needs one up front. Oh, and there's a whole group back there. They're making their way. Okay, we'll wait. How are we doing in the balcony? You guys get some up there? Yes? Awesome. Okay, one more time. Hold your hand up high if you don't have one so they can see. Everybody have one? I don't see hands. If you don't have one, say, I don't have one. Oh. Does she really not have one or did she just sort of think I was playing Simon Says? (laughs) Does someone need one over here? Okay? All right, we're good. So take a look at your card. Go ahead and look at the English side first. You see the short version of Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then if Jesus can't tell us to love God without including in the same breath love others, then we better include that too. Amen? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you turn it over, you can see the Hebrew. We won't spend time learning it today, but I'd like us to learn it, at least the short version in Hebrew, between now and Christmas. 
And now you will find on the, I think, I don't know, it's on one side of the card, you'll find that little paper with the heart on it. Do you see that? Now you just grab that little tab, if you have fingernails, and go ahead and pull that off and you'll reveal kind of a two-sided sticky tape. Guess where I want you to stick it? All right, so take that sticky tape, wipe the perspiration off your brow, or gentlemen, your makeup, and go ahead and stick it on your forehead. (laughs) Did you get it up there? All right, now, I have a dream for us, my brothers and sisters of West Bowles Community Church, and that dream is that we too are marked by God and identified first and foremost as a community who loves God with all our heart our soul, our mind, and might, and as a community who loves our neighbors as ourselves. I have a dream that this is truly who we are and what we are doing here, more and more and more. We love God. We love others. It's who we are and what we do. Now go ahead and look around at everyone with their very fashionable little cards on their foreheads. Go ahead, look. I wish you could all see yourselves. You feel a little silly? Well, you look a little silly, too. (laughs) But you know, isn't that part of the point, really? To look a little silly because our love of God and others is the most important and greatest factor in our lives? I confess, before studying Shema further, I looked at our Jewish friends with their little black boxes on their foreheads and their tefillin wrapped around their arms. And, and I thought things like, oh, how silly. Why are they doing that? What kind of woodenly, literal, self-righteous behavior is that? Don't they know God meant the instruction to write His commands on their foreheads as a metaphor and not literally silly Jews? Or something like that. But I don't think that way anymore. First of all, are you sure God didn't mean it literally? Are you sure? I have come to respect and admire the pure hearts, at least, behind this practice. What if their motive for strapping on Shema, what if their motive is because they want so badly to obey God and to stand out for God and to dedicate who they are and what they are doing here for God? They want so badly to remind themselves of their identity as children of God, to remind themselves of who they are and what they are doing here, no matter what anyone might think of them. I so deeply admire and respect that. Are we willing to look silly because we love God with all we've got Because we love others as ourselves. That needs to mark us, my friends, as followers of Jesus. 
our love of God and our love of others. Do you suppose it's possible for us to stand out in our world, in our community, to the point where it just seems silly or beyond comprehension that we, in fact, love God and love others so much? That's my dream for me, for you, for us. I have a dream that people shake their heads in disbelief that West Bowles Community Church could possibly love God and others so ridiculously that we become in the same breath synonymous with loving God and loving others. Oh, West Bowles Community Church? Yeah, I heard of that church. That's the church where those people are just crazy about loving God and loving others. You wouldn't even believe it. I have that dream, and I'm asking you to share that dream, and together with God's help, realizing, putting that dream into action, making that dream who we indeed are more and more and more in the weeks and months and years ahead. And so, I'm asking you to wear your card on your forehead wherever you go. (laughs) Is he serious? No, he's got a card stuck in his forehead. He could be serious. I'm kidding. Although, I have little doubt some of you at least would give it a try. And you know you know what encourages my heart? What encourages my heart in particular are our kids. Because I bet more of them would be excited to give that a try than maybe we adults would. I don't know. There's something about Jesus command that we are to become more like a child and what it would take to go around with silly cards on our foreheads. So by all means, do it if you want. Or maybe at least wear them around your house once in a while. Wear them the next time you feel like arguing with your husband or wife. (laughs) Hmm, I wonder what would happen. Give me that. No, I hope that... Maybe you'd argue a little differently, in all seriousness. Or maybe, maybe you'd just both crack up and forget what you wanted to argue about. Either way. Or stick the card up there, Mom and Dad, before you reprimand your kids. I wonder how that might affect your tone and temper, at least. Here's the thing. Should people as easily and as readily be able to tell something up with us? Should they as easily and readily be able to tell who we are and what we are doing here, even without phylactrophies or silly cards on our foreheads? Of course they should. They should be able to tell by our words, by our actions, by who we are and by what we do because of who we are. How long before someone who meets you knows or experiences through you that the core of who you are and what you do is love God and love others? Do we hide it sometimes because it's silly? Too humbling? And boy, we sure don't want to be silly or laughed at, do we? It's like the worst thing possible, huh? 
And I know, maybe we don't always want to come on so strong that we scare people away because we appear beyond silly and ridiculous to some sort of pathological stalking threat. I mean, I I get that. But how long does it take before people notice you are all about loving God and loving others? Shouldn't take all that long, should it? I invite you, if you like, take your card when you go. Maybe that sticky will stay sticky enough. You can stick it on your dashboard of your car. Or you students, if you're not driving yet, maybe on your notebook. And if you like, take it back with you into the sanctuary from week to week as we continue to study Shema. I don't currently have planned to have you stick them back up there again. but And we've got extra in the back. Those of you parents who'd like to grab some to give to your kids who are downstairs, feel free. If we run out, we'll get some more. The title of the sermon this morning is Shema, Why Bother? We bother with Shema because it is who we are and what we're doing here. We bother with Shema because we are first and foremost to love God with all of every part of us and love others as ourselves. God and Jesus said so. We bother with Shema because Jesus bothered with it, lived it in the biggest way possible. And so from now to the end of the year, we'll look more and more at how loving God and loving others needs to be who we are and what we are doing here. And what we can do together, my friends, to become synonymous as a community, as a family of God, with loving God and loving others. So help us, God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you ask us, tell us that your deepest desire is that we love you with all of every part of us. You love us that much that you want us all. You cherish us that much that you can't even stand the thought of even a tiny piece of us loving something, some other God, some other false God. You want us all. And Father, in the same breath, you tell us what to do, who to be with that love of you. And you tell us, okay, you love me? Now take that love and give it to others. Father, renew in us again the spirit, the strength, the courage to take that love to the world. To take as seriously as you do loving people. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand please for a benediction, some good words based on God's word. An adaptation of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O West Bowles, Community Church. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. 
May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. So help you God. And in Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you in a week. Go get them.